Thank you, Mike. You may be seated. This morning, I want to talk about sight. In particular, I want to talk about seeing God. Now, we know that vision is important. Uh, so much of our success in anything depends on how well we see, right? In order to be successful in driving uh, from here back to your house, you need to be able to see clearly, right? You need to be able to see the stop signs and the, and the traffic lights. You need to be able to see the, the other cars. You need to be able to see how fast you're going. In order to be successful at work, you need to be able to see it clearly, right? There are physical, physical things that you need to see, like uh, you need to be able to see how to get to your desk. You need to see what's on your desk. You need to be able to see your computer, right? There's other things that you need to be able to see clearly, right? Expectations that your boss has for you. You need to be able to see those clearly. The numbers that you have to hit in the office, right? The, the steps you need to take to hit all of your career goals. The procedure that your patient needs. In order to be successful in our marriage, we need to be able to see clearly only. I need to be able to see the needs of my wife clearly. I need to be able to see when my jokes just aren't working and I need to shut my mouth. That rarely happens. Just don't ask my, uh, my family. Uh, but I have very funny jokes, don't I, kids? No? Okay, hush. Uh, I need to be able to see that when my jokes aren't working. I need to be able to see when my, my children are struggling with something. I need to be able to see when they're hurt and what's causing their pain. Being able to see clearly is vital for our lives. And when we, when we can't see clearly, we go to the doctor, right? We have our vision checked. I can look around the room and I can see some of you all have been to that doctor and have had your vision checked and found out you needed glasses, right? If you wear glasses, it's, it's clear that you had your eyes checked at some point. And you found out that you don't see clearly, so you need help in order to see clearly. Some of you wear contacts because you don't see clearly. Some of you had LASIK because you don't see clearly. And some of you have perfect vision, and you brag about it all day long. That's why Jesus is the only friend who likes you. <laughs> Seeing clearly is vital. If our vision is hindered, if our vision is distorted, then what we look at will be distorted. When we don't see things clearly, then we misunderstand what we're looking at. Have you ever missed seeing something? Have you ever made a bad decision because you did not see clearly? Have you ever reacted poorly to something because you didn't see the circumstances clearly? One of the reasons drinking and driving is against the law is because alcohol causes you not to see things as they really are. Same thing with drugs. right? When our vision is distorted, our understanding is distorted. And when our understanding is distorted, we make bad decisions. When we don't see someone clearly, we're more likely to just write them off, right? Seeing clearly is vital for our lives, especially when it comes to our relationship with God. How we see God affects every aspect of our lives. How we see God affects how we see ourselves, how we see God affects how we see and respond to the world around us. How we see God affects how we treat those within our community. How we see God affects our generosity. How we see God affects how we treat our spouse and our children. How we see God affects how we work. How we see God affects how we spend our downtime. Making sure we see God clearly is vital to our lives. 
How we see God will affect how we deal with the challenges in life. How we see God will affect how we deal with the struggles in life. So let me ask you, how's your vision of God? How has your vision of God affected your life? Do you see him as nothing more than, a, than an absentee parent? Or do you see God as vindictive? Do you see God as unfair? Do you see God as, as pure love? Do you see God as lacking grace? How do you see God? So with that question in mind, let's open our Bibles to the book of Numbers, which is in the Old Testament. The book of Numbers is the fourth book in the Bible. And once you go to Numbers, go to the 23rd chapter. And as you're turning there, let me say, seeing God clearly often requires us to deal with some very uncomfortable feelings. It requires us to push ourselves and our faith to uncomfortable places. And so just know that I may challenge you a little bit today, but I do so so, you'll, so that you'll push yourself and your thinking of who God is and who he isn't. And so look at Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. It says, God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and, and not carried it through? Look at those first five words again. God is not a man. God is not human. We read in the creation story that God created humans in his image. In Genesis 1.26, it says, Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Now, just so you know, that us refers to the Trinity, right? God the Father, uh, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. God in three persons. You and I were created in the image of God. But that does not mean that God is human. He is not a man. It means we share his characteristics. It does not mean he's human. But we often treat him like he's human, right? Because we know, we know that humans lie. We know humans cheat. We know humans conspire. We know that humans steal. And sometimes, if we're honest, sometimes we think that God is the same way. That's why Moses wrote these words. God is not a man, so he does not lie. Now, it may seem like such a simple statement, but it is, in fact, incredibly profound. And when we fully understand it, it radically changes how we approach God and his word. When we fully understand it, it radically changes how we approach God. But it also means we, have, we may have to reassess some feelings we've had about God. Look at the end of the passage. God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? It is easy for us to say God does not lie or change his mind when we are not facing difficult times. But when the marriage ends or the child dies or the doctor says that ca the cancer is incurable, what about then? Right? We've heard the preacher read the scripture that says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. We've read Jesus saying, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. But a failed marriage sure seems like a disaster, right? 
Incurable cancer doesn't really help you live a full life. So how can we honestly say that God does not lie? The problem is we ascribe to God our own faults in order to make sense of our broken world and our broken situation. Because there is cancer, God must not be trustworthy. Because there is war, God must not be reliable. Because your parents mistreated you, God must be a liar and a cheat. But here's the thing, church. When we ascribe to God our own faults, then he is no longer the God of creation, but a God of our own creation. And the God of our own creation is no match for the God of creation. Amen? But the God of our own creation is what we, we so often lean on to get through the tough times. Because even though the God of our own creation provides no lasting comfort, well, he's beholden to us, though. Right? When we worship the God of our own creation, then we are above him because we're defining him. He's nothing more than, than the urban legend to help explain why bad things happen to good people. But all the while, he serves no purpose other than to allow us to remain in power over our lives and avoid fully submitting to the God of all creation. What we read in Numbers is that God is reliable, that God has carried out every promise he has ever made. That is who God is. What does it mean for us if we truly believe that? means we have to adjust how we respond to the troubles in life. It means we have to shift and change because the God of all creation has not, nor will he ever change. And that is something that should give us great comfort. But it also challenges us. It requires us to do the work of changing our vision of God instead of God adapting to our created vision of him. Do you understand the difference? I've had the privilege of visiting the Grand Canyon a few times in my life, once when I was nine with my parents and my brother, and then in the year 2000 with a buddy of mine, and then just a couple weeks ago I took my family out to the Grand Canyon. And uh, before I had ever seen the Grand Canyon, I'd seen pictures, right? I'd seen video of the Grand Canyon. It was easy to think that because I had seen photos and videos of the Grand Canyon that I understood the size and the scope of the Grand Canyon. But until you have stood on the rim of the canyon, there's just no understanding of just how big it is. My wife had seen videos and, and, and photos of the Grand Canyon, but as soon as she got her first glimpse of that canyon, she said, oh my gosh. I mean, it was, she was blown away by the size of it. As I stood and I looked it out across that canyon, I realized that up to that moment, my understanding of the Grand Canyon was incomplete and inferior to the real thing. You see, until we truly see God, we have an incomplete and inferior understanding of God. Our incomplete view of God could lead us to only seeing the wrath of God. Or our incomplete view of God could lead us to only seeing the grace of God. But a full and complete view of God will reveal that he is a God of wrath and a God of grace. But unless we truly see God, we miss or underestimate uh, portions of our amazing God. So again, that begs the question, 
can we see God? The good news is for us that God has done the hard work for us. God has revealed himself through the person of Jesus Christ. When we see and understand Jesus, then we see and understand the Father. Flip over to John's telling of Jesus' life. I want you to look in the 8th chapter of the Gospel of John. It's in the New Testament. Now, the beginning of this, this uh, chapter is a well-known story you've probably heard in church. A woman is caught in the act of adultery, and, and, and the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees hauled her before a crowd and Jesus. They, they wanted Jesus to do something that would go against the Jewish teachings or against the teachings of the, of the Jewish law. Instead, Jesus just drew in the sand, right? And then he uttered the famous words, let the one who has never sinned cast the first stone, right? And after shaming the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, he, he continues to speak to the crowd. And that's where we want to pick up the story. Jesus begins by saying exactly who he is in John chapter 8, starting in verse 12. It says, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Jesus is the light of the world. If we follow him, then we will be able to see where we are going and where we're supposed to go. Then look at verse 13. The Pharisees replied, you are making those claims about yourself. Such testimony is not valid. Jesus told them. These claims are valid even though I make them about myself. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you don't know this about me. Okay, stop there. Look at what he said. I am able to say these things about myself because I know where I came from. Where did he come from? As I mentioned in the beginning, we worship a triune God, right? A God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. All equal, all eternal, three persons in one. No, trust me, we can't fully comprehend that, but we believe, based on Jesus' own words, that he is God in the flesh. So because he is God, when he describes himself, he is in fact describing God the Father. That's why he says, I'm able to say these things about myself because I know where I came from. Then he continues in verse 15. You judge me by human standards, but I do not judge anyone. And if I did, my judgment would be correct in every respect. Because I am not alone. The Father who sent me is with me. See, Jesus drew a very clear distinction between our human judgment and his judgment. Right? Our judgment is faulty. Our judgment is how we often find ourselves worshiping a God of our own making instead of the one true God. But while our judgment is faulty, his is never incorrect. Why? Because he is God. And then in verse 17 it says, your own law says that if two people agree about something, their witness is accepted as fact. I am one witness, and my Father who sent me is the other. Where is your Father, they asked. Now hear this part. Jesus answered, since you don't know who I am, you don't know who the Father is. If you knew me, you would also know my Father. Jesus made this, uh, these statements while he was teaching in the section of the temple known as the treasury. But he was not arrested because his time had not yet come. Now, later in his ministry, he said similar words to the disciples. You can find that story in the 14th chapter of John. Jesus is preparing his disciples for when he would no longer be with them. And he told them that he was going to heaven before them to prepare a place for them. Right? And they didn't get it because sometimes they were just really dense. And, and Thomas spoke up and asked, how could they know how to follow Jesus if they don't know where he's going? So in John chapter 14, verse 6 and 7, it says, Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my father is. 
from now on, you, you, do, you do know him and have seen him. And because they still weren't getting it, he said, uh, I have been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. Anyone who has seen Jesus has seen the Father. If we want to see God, we only need to look to Jesus. Jesus is the full image and the full expression of the Father. When we see Jesus, we see the Father. In Jesus, we see the power of God. Through Jesus, God is able to resurrect whatever dead situation in which we find ourselves. In Jesus, we see the holiness of God. Even Jesus bowed down before the Father and chose the, the holy will of the Father over everything else. In Jesus, we see the love of God. The birth of Jesus on Christmas morning was a display of God's love for you and me. The death of Jesus on, on Good Friday was a display of God's love for you and me. The resurrection of Jesus on Easter morning was a display of God's love for you and me. This is who God was and is and forevermore will be. In Jesus, we gain the clear vision of God the Father. In Jesus, our imperfect vision of God is made perfect. In Jesus, our incomplete vision of God is made complete. When I look at Jesus, I see a God who loves the sinner. When I look at Jesus, I see a God who welcomes the outsider. When I look at Jesus, I see a God who heals the sick. When I look at Jesus, I see a God who celebrates the role of women in the church. When I look at Jesus, I see a God who forgives sin no matter how bad. When I look at Jesus, I see a God who sacrifices himself for a sinner like me and you. When I look at Jesus, I see a God who loves and then loves some more and then loves some more and then loves some more and then loves some more. When I look at Jesus, I see a God who speaks a plan into creation and then follows through every single time. A God who is trustworthy, a God who is reliable, a God who never lies, a God who never fails. When I see Jesus, I see the Father clearly, and I'm able to face the broken relationships in life. I'm able to face the life-changing diagnosis with, with faith. I'm able to worship even in the midst of my brokenness. I'm able to sing with joy even as I mourn. I see a God who is willing to, to have the flesh that he took on broken for me. I see a God who is willing to have his blood and his veins poured out for me. I don't fully understand it, but I fully, I fully understand I don't deserve it. But that is what he did for all of us. And as I focus more and more of my life on a love like that, my marriage is better. As I focus more and more on love like that, I become a better father and a better son. As I focus more and more of my life on a love like that, I minister to this broken world more and more. As I focus more on a love like that, everything else comes into focus. When I see God clearly, I see everything else clearly. So let me ask you, church, how's your vision? Do you see God for who he is? Or are you worshiping a God of your own creation? Do you see God for who he truly is? 
not, all you have to do is look to his son, Jesus Christ. Open your Bible and read the words of Jesus. And he will reveal who his father is. It's a God who, he's a God who loves you beyond all measure. I want you to hear this church today. Hear this. Your God loves you. Regardless of who you are and where you've come from or what you did last night. And he loves you. So much so that he took on flesh and he died for us. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he gathered with his disciples in the upper room and for a Passover meal. He took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then he took the cup. He said, this is my blood, which is poured out. For you. This is the Lord's table. This is the table where our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ invites you to come and commune with him. Think about how you get to know people. Maybe you invite them over for dinner. You sit around a table and you talk. So where'd you grow up? Tell me about your parents. Where'd you go to school? How'd you meet your spouse? How old are your kids? What are your interests? You get to know them by spending time at their table, breaking bread and having conversation. Too often in church, when we come to the Lord's table, we just take the bread, we dip it in the cup, and we go back, and we're done. Hey, we had communion. Yay, good for us. I want you to understand, this is the Lord's table. He's inviting you to gather at his table, to sit with him at his table, and to get to know him. To allow him to pour his grace out on you. To allow him to show you just who his father is. So when you come to the table, don't just take the bread, dip it in the, in the juice, and go back to your seat and, and think, oh, that's great. Come and commune. You need to kneel. You need to just stand down here and just say, okay, God, this is what I'm going through. And I, I don't know who you are thinking I can handle this, but, but I, I, want to, I want you to reveal yourself to me today. I need some answers today, Lord. I need to know exactly who you are and I need to know exactly how trustworthy you are. Come to the table. The Lord's inviting you to his table to commune with him so that through him you can know your Father. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that even though you are the God of all creation, you want to be known by us. You want to be seen by us. You want us to, to see you and to know you. You want us to be in personal relationship with you. Lord, forgive us for, for those times when we have been worshiping the God of our own creation. Lord, I know I'm guilty of that at times in my own life. Forgive me, Lord, for those times where I have doubted your word, that I've doubted that you are trustworthy. 
Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who, who through him we can see you clearly. We can clearly see that you are a God who fulfills all the prophecies. You're a God who loves us. You're a God who has grace and mercy for us. You're a God who will forgive us. So maybe there are some folks in this room today who are struggling because they've had an unclear view of you. Maybe they just think you're a God of, of just wrath, that you're a God who just likes to see us suffer. Or maybe, Lord, there's some folks in here who just think that, that uh, you have no wrath, that it's just all love and whatever goes, goes, everything is good. But you're our God who calls us to repentance. But you're also a God who pours out grace and forgiveness. For today, as we come in a moment to share in Holy Communion, I thank you, Lord Jesus, for your table. And I pray that as we come to your table that we would commune with you. That we would just talk with you. That we would just have a conversation about what's going on in our lives. That we would, that we would repent of our sins. And we would ask you, Lord, to reveal yourself to me. Help me see you clearly so that I can see my life more clearly. For this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.